Well, happy uh, Mother's Day to all the moms out there today. And, you know, I, I, cannot, I, I cannot think of a better way to celebrate the moms in our lives than watching a game seven this afternoon uh, between the Celtics and the 76ers. I mean, what a gift. What a gift, moms, for you guys this, uh, for this afternoon. So uh, I'm sure you're looking forward to that. But we are thrilled that you're here and chose to celebrate your day uh, with us. I, uh, I see some kids in the audience who probably didn't have a choice. I mean, they said, hey, mom, what do you want for Mother's Day? And we said, hey, we, I want you to go to church with me this morning. And so, so they're here. So uh, glad, uh, glad the whole fam is, uh, is here today. So uh, we are going through this series called Storyline. And what we're doing is we're looking at this storyline that runs through the entire Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation that points us to Jesus in his gospel. And when we say gospel, what we mean by that is that Jesus came and he lived the life that we can't live and he died the death that we deserve. And that when we put our faith in his performance, not our performance, but his performance, not only do we get forgiveness of sin, but we go from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually, uh, that uh, we also uh, have a new relationship, a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. We become adopted sons and daughters of the one true King, and we have all the rights and privileges that go with our Father's name. That's what we mean by the gospel. But it also means that we have all the approval and all the, all the acceptance and all the significance and all the hope and security and love that we need right now because nothing says that we are more approved or accepted or significant than the Son of God dying on the cross for us. And that's what every page, every chapter of every book points us to in the Bible. Well, last week we talked about Israel's very first king and King Saul. And today we're going to talk about Israel's greatest king and King David. And the story of David, it begins with the search for a true king, a king who wouldn't accumulate power, uh, but give it away. Uh, A king who would come and a true king who would come and lift up the needy and fight for justice. Uh, a true king who would uh, serve and not just be served. And, and that's what we see happen in the life of David, but also in, the, in this storyline that points us to Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about character. And I want to give us, the passage gives us three thoughts about character. I want to give, give them to us up front and then we'll unpack them as we go along. Um, but this morning, what we're going to see is we're going to see the importance of character, uh, the cost of character, and then how do we get character in our lives? So we're going to see the importance of and the cost of and how do we get character in our lives. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to your table of contents and find the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. And uh, as we continue our, our story, and Samuel was, uh, he was a prophet. And uh, the prophet, um, God would speak to the prophet of Israel. And then the prophet then would speak on behalf, uh, on behalf of God to, to the people. And so Samuel is God's prophet to the king and to the people of Israel. And so we, we, we see very, very upfront the importance of, of character. So beginning in verse 1. 
It says, and the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? So King Saul, as we saw last week, he, was, uh, he disobeyed God. And because he disobeyed God, he was rejected uh, by God. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't get to be king anymore. He's still very much king. But what it does mean to be rejected by God is that King Saul would not pass on the throne to his children, okay? And the reason why is Saul, he, he used his position and his power and his influence for himself when God told him not to. And Samuel, he's mourning this. He's uh, he's grieving, he's weeping, and he, because he knows that King Saul isn't that true king uh, that he had hoped for. So God said to Samuel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, and I have chosen one of his sons to be king. In other words, God's saying to Samuel, hey, enough is enough, okay? Let's move on. Verse 2, but Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And that's true. I mean, that, that's a problem. Because if King Saul heard that Samuel was to go and anoint the next king, that would anger King Saul. And he would probably kill Samuel thinking, well, I'll thwart the plan of God. I'll stop the plan of God. And I'll show God. And I'll show Samuel. I'll kill Samuel so he can't anoint the next king. Okay? So what Samuel says is pretty true. It says, and the Lord said... Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. And you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him and they asked, do you come in peace? Now, the reason why they asked that question is because when a prophet would come to your town, uh, it, it meant one or two things. It was either good news or bad news. Either they were coming to your town to tell you all the things that you were doing wrong and that if, you, if the town didn't stop doing that, if the town didn't repent of that, then these bad things were going to happen as judgment to the town or... Uh, that prophet was coming in in peace, and if they came in peace, then they would have a worship service, and they would make a sacrifice to the one true God. And so they asked him, hey, are, are, are you coming in peace, or are you coming with uh, some bad news? And Samuel replied to the elders, yes, in peace. And all the elders went, whew, okay, great, okay, what do you got for us? says, uh, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, that was one of Jesse's sons, saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So see, Samuel, he's making the same mistake that he made with Saul. Because when he saw King Saul, before he was king, when he saw Saul, Saul was, uh, you know, head and shoulders taller than anybody else. And, and when Samuel saw him, he thought, man, surely that's God's anointed. Surely that's the one that God wants to be king. And Samuel sees Jesse's son Eliab walk into the room and he says, yep, that's the one. That's the one. And, and what God is saying to Samuel, and really what he's saying to us too, is that we don't need to focus on the wrong things. Because it's so easy, especially in, 
in our society, especially in the age of social media, for us to get obsessed and distracted with the wrong things. Now we could get so distracted with, with things like beauty and wealth and talent and success and popularity and, and followers and status, but, but these things do not make someone who they are. And Samuel, he's focused on the wrong things and as a result, he's distracted from what God wants to do in this moment. He's distracted from what God wants to do in Samuel's heart. And he's distracted. And Samuel's distracted by what God wants to do through Samuel. So look at verse 7. And this is the crux of the whole story. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel. And, and you could just put your name there too. Do not consider his appearance or his height. For I rejected him. In other words, those things, those things are they're secondary. They're not as important as what I'm about to tell you. He says, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, you and I, we need to look at our own hearts. We need to look at the hearts of others. We need to look at our character, because what we see here is the importance of character. And if this passage teaches us anything, what it teaches us is that heart character is far more important than physical appearance. That heart character is far more important than physical appearance. That the problem is we live in a society that's caught up with the outer appearance. We get caught up with the, the side of wealth and status and popularity. But here's the deal. Character is far more important than any of that stuff. And God says, don't look at the outer appearance. Don't let that, don't let all these secondary things like, like beauty and strength and, and, and health and wealth and status and popularity, don't let these things define who you are. Don't let these things... Be where you, where you and I find value. We need to look at the heart. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and, ha and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And, and, and so Jesse, he, uh, he brings in the first son, okay? And Samuel says, he's not the one. Do you, do you have another son? And Jesse brings in the next son. And Samuel says, he's not the one. Uh, you got another son. Brings in another son. He's not the one. You got another son. They do this seven times, okay? Verse 11. So Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? And you see, Jesse, he's making the same mistake Samuel made. He's looking at the outer appearance. He's looking at strength. He's looking at skill set. He's, he's looking at all these things that other people look at. And so Samuel says, do you have any other sons? And Jesse answered, well, there is still the youngest, but he's out tending Sheep. In other words, there is the little one, 
but, but he, he's not really what I would consider royal material, if you know what I mean. I mean, he, he's not much to look at. He's, he's small. He's he, not much strength. It, 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 I just don't know if he's who you really are looking for. And Samuel says, get him in here. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. I mean, that's one way to speed things up, right? I mean, you say, hey, we're all standing. Nobody's sitting down. Nobody's getting comfortable until that son gets here. You're like, hey, uh, Jesse or uh, Samuel, you don't understand. That kid, he's out who knows where uh, tending sheep. Okay, we don't know where he really is. Uh, I, I don't care. I'm not sitting down and neither are you. Until we get him here, okay? So they're sending the servants out. Hey, get this guy in here quick because I don't want to stand, you know, and some probably somebody's in the back starting to sit down. He goes, no, 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 no. We're not sitting down until this kid gets in here. So they're all standing. Just looking at each other awkwardly. You know, making small talk, I guess. I'm like, man, did you see the stars blow game six? I mean, you know, now we got a game seven and... So he sent for him and had David brought in. And he was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him. In other words, he poured it over his head in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. See, we have to be careful and read this passage in the context of the whole Bible because it's real easy to read this story and jump to the conclusion that the other brothers, they had bad hearts, but David had a good heart. It's easy to read this story and think, well, the other brothers, they didn't have anything to bring to the table, but David did have skills to bring to the table. And to be honest with you, that's how I read this story pretty much my whole life. But if that's true, then, then how does David end up doing all the awful things that he does as king? And what's interesting is we read about David's life, and we'll spend a couple more Sundays talking about David. He makes these terrible mistakes. In fact, his royal record is not that much greater than Saul's. But it says here in verse 13 that the power of the Spirit was on David. From that day on, David needed the Holy Spirit to flood his life every second of every day in order to develop Okay, it's a process to develop kingly character. Because solid character is unnatural. Okay, solid, godly, kingly character is unnatural. The Bible says that the natural human heart is so selfish. And this is where you say, how selfish is it? Okay, all right, here, I'll cue you up one more time. The Bible says that the natural human heart is so selfish... Man, I'm glad you guys asked. Um, you guys are great this morning. Um, so selfish that, it, that it, it sees itself as the center of the universe and will use anyone to get what it wants. That the, that the 
the natural heart is so selfish that it will use anything and anyone to get what it wants. Kingly character is my life for yours. That I'm here to serve you. Natural character, sinful character is your life for mine. You're here to serve me. And, and, and just like David, we need the Holy Spirit to flood our lives every second of every day to develop, to take us through the process of developing kingly character in us. See, but you already know that. You don't need a preacher to tell you that the natural bent of the human heart is selfishness. Let me just ask you, all, all, all you that are parents, who here had to teach their kids how to be selfish? Yeah. No one. Why? Why do we not have to teach our kids to be selfish? Because they're selfish. But we do have to teach our kids how to what? Share, Right? Uh, how many, just one, one more question, just to prove the point here. Um, how many of us as parents had to teach our kids how to lie? Right? I mean, they're little liars. That's what they are. <laughs> I mean, case in point, yesterday, um, my eight-year-old Asher and, and Zeke, uh, Thomas and Rachel's uh, kid, they, they were at our house and you know, they're swimming, playing Xbox, and they're playing, and guns, and all that kind of stuff. And then they come down and say, hey, we don't know what happened, but Asher's uh, closet, his clothes rack fell to the ground. We didn't touch it. <laughs> Those are staff kids. <laughs> and they're good at lying. I'm like, y'all didn't touch it? No, we didn't touch it. So what were y'all doing? We were trying to get the American flags off the top shelf, but you didn't touch the shelf. No, we didn't touch it. I'm like, that is crazy, guys. We know, we know. <laughs> I mean, our hearts. We talked about this last week, we deceive ourselves. That's why kingly character it's a development, it's a process. And moms, you, you, thank you for the role that you play in shaping our hearts and pointing them to Jesus. And I know it seems like the lessons to tell the truth and to, and to share, it, it, it goes unnoticed and unwelcomed very, so many times. But little deposits, tell the truth, share, tell the truth. Share little deposits of developing kingly character, pointing your kids to Jesus, pays off in the end. So thank you, moms, for everything that you do to teach your kids kingly character. That's the importance of it. Now let's talk about the cost of kingly character. Because the, 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 the Spirit comes powerfully upon David, and it almost immediately, uh, David's life is like one troubled day after another. Uh, and the next thing David knows, he's fighting a giant. We'll talk about that next week. And, and then not too long after that, King Saul finds out uh, how popular David is becoming. And he tries to kill David. David has to run from King Saul. 
Not too long after that, David, his newborn son dies and he has to go through that. And then later in his life, one of his grown sons tries to kill his own father, tries to kill David. Almost every time in the Bible when the Spirit of God, when the power of God works in somebody's life to develop a kingly character or to develop godly character, almost immediately persecution follows. And you read of people being beaten or tortured or thrown into prison or sometimes even death. And the reason why is God is after our hearts. That he wants to develop kingly character in us. That he wants our character to be real. He wants our character to be bigger than our talents. He wants our character to be bigger than our platforms. He wants our character to be bigger than the moment. He wants our character to grow and to develop. And usually, unfortunately, that happens best when we face trials and suffering. And so just know that when we say, God, would you develop this in me? The majority of the times that lesson is going to be reinforced through a trial or suffering. That's how costly it is. And it's that costly because it's that, it's that valuable. It's worth everything. Because character is doing the right thing whether we want to or not. And I know, I know people say, well, that's just not the way we do things in our industry. Well, maybe it's the way you need to do things in your industry. Yeah, but if I do full disclosure, I'm not going to close on this deal and we really need this commission as we go into the summer to take this vacation. Well, I get it. But character is far more valuable than that commission. They said, well, you know, everybody cheats. I mean, it's just the way it is since COVID. Everybody cheats. I say, okay, that may be true, but that's not kingly character now, is it? So there's a cost to kingly character being developed in us. So how do we get kingly character? Well, to have kingly character, we have to look at the forgotten son. Jesse had eight sons. He brings in seven before Samuel. And when they all go by, Samuel says to Jesse, you know, is this it? Is this all you got? And Jesse's like, oh, there is the runt of the litter. I mean, he's out there tending sheep, doing what, you know, the lowest of the low does. But he's not much of a king material. And David comes in and Samuel says, that's the one. See, God chooses the youngest almost every time. God chooses the weakest, the most unlikely. God chooses the forgotten son. Now remember, put this in context of the whole Bible. And remember we talked about that families, they would put their hope for their future in the life of the oldest. But here God chooses the youngest. That, that people looked as strength, as a sign that the Lord was with them. But here, God chooses the weakest. And what God is reinforcing to us is that he doesn't look at outer appearances. He doesn't look at outer circumstances. He doesn't listen to what everybody else is saying. God looks at the heart and we should 
too. And it starts with this heart right here that's beating in us, that we look at our own lives and say, God, is there anything in me that doesn't reflect who you are? But there's another forgotten king that we need to put our gaze on. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus came and he lived the life that we can't live and he died the death that we we deserve and he went to the cross to pay for the penalty of our sin in full. And while Jesus was on the cross, he was forgotten. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten about me? See, Jesus was forgotten so that you and I could be remembered. He was forsaken, he was rejected so that you and I can be received and forgiven. And it's not based on our performance, it's based on the performance of Jesus and our faith in him, the one true king. The one true king who did not accumulate power but distributed it. The one true king who, who lifted up the cause of the needy and, and, and fought for justice. The one true king who who came to serve and not be served. The one true king who lost his life for ours. And as the band comes, and I I just want to give us an opportunity to reflect. I'm just going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And, And let me just ask this. What characteristic, what godly characteristic needs to be developed in you? What has the Holy Spirit shown you? Is it patience? Gentleness, kindness, self-control? What's one kingly characteristic of Jesus that needs to be developed in you? would you ask the Lord to develop that in you so that your character is bigger than your talent that your character is bigger than your skill set that your character is bigger than any moment you'll ever face